Well, some songs seem to take me back in my memory. I forget a lot of things, and then there's weird things like a song like that. I was in the fifth grade, sitting on the fourth pew beside my daddy, and the song leader was J.O. Freeman, singing at the cross in an old church, piano out of tune, and a song leader that didn't know a note in the book, singing with all his heart, and me beside my daddy singing. Remember days like that? I remember that song having a great influence on my son after family time one night, going out in the backyard and crying out for mercy because of that song. And I also remember I went to preach at a church in view of a call. They wanted me to be their pastor, and I preached that morning, and I went back that night, and everybody looked at me and said, the preacher leads the music on Sunday night. (laughs) And so I picked that song, and I sang it the best I could, and I said, what do y'all want to sing next? They said, nothing. (laughs) Just go ahead and preach. (laughs) The song service was over. (laughs) So anyway, so some good times. All right, we are in Galatians. Uh, I do want to tell you one piece of information before the sermon. Uh, Galatians 1, 11 and 12 tonight. Uh, I, I forgot this. I forget a lot of things, and it's not marked in my Bible for some reason. But when we talked about uh, verses 6 through 9 and a different gospel, if it's a, Paul or anyone else or an angel from heaven. I have it marked in my Old Testament, and so I'm reading through my Bible, and uh, I, it was in Deuteronomy 13, and I had forgotten to mark it in Galatians. So I just want to remind you that there's an example of that in Deuteronomy 13. Uh, it's not tonight's sermon, but the idea of somebody telling you something different, don't listen to them. Uh, And Deuteronomy 13 was really, really clear. I won't read the whole thing, but it says, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder that he tells you comes to pass, think that through. They did the sign, they did the wonder, what they said came to pass. And if he says, let us go this other direction, let us go after other gods whom you've not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen. Don't listen. So I'd forgotten about that reference. You can read the rest of it, but that's Deuteronomy 13. All right, so Galatians 1, preaching verse 11 and 12 tonight, but just to give the introduction, from chapter 1, verse 11 through chapter 2, verse 10, that's all one section. I never have understood chapter divisions anyways, but 111 through 210 is Paul's autobiography as to why he is validated as an apostle and has a right to preach the gospel that he preaches. So it's lengthy. I'm not going to dare try to preach all that because I can't. And so what I've done is begin, I've begun, began uh, dividing this up. And so let me give you uh, somewhat of an outline uh, for that. So I'm breaking the remaining part of chapter 1 into five parts. And so first, which is tonight, is the revelation of the gospel. Revelation of the gospel. That's verse 11 and 12. Then next week we'll be remembering the past. That's 13 and 14. Then we're going to have, he really is an apostle, 15 through 17. Then we'll have the church leaders at Jerusalem, 
church leaders at Jerusalem, that's 18 through 20. And then lastly, just in chapter 1, is going to be concerning the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And that's not the end of the autobiography, that's just the end of chapter 1 as it's divided up in our text. So we'll deal with each section individually. All right, now you have your copy of God's Word there before you. I'm going to read it in the ESV, and then I'm going to read my translation to make just a couple of changes uh, in the translation. But look in verse 11 and 12. Paul says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. I've changed the wording just a bit to bring out some different words, but so mine reads this way, and you can kind of mirror it in your text. For brothers, I make known to you that the gospel being preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but through revelation of Jesus Christ. And I think all of the words are important, but I do want to bring out that aspect that he says the gospel being preached by me. This is an ongoing reality of the Apostle Paul's life. He didn't go to Galatians and preach and then move on to something else. As a matter of fact, he never moved on to something else. He was always preaching the gospel throughout the course of his Christianity. All right, four parts tonight. Number one, Paul's method. Paul's method, and starting with phrase by phrase in verse 11. Paul's method, this Greek word here, means to make known. To make known. Gnorizo is to make known. To cause information to become known. To reveal something to someone. So Paul's reminding the Galatians, I came to you and I made something known to you that you did not previously know. That's the whole issue of the gospel and Paul's preaching. He went into this place and gave them information that they had not received or had not understood. He uses this same terminology in Corinth in a famous passage that we like to refer to in 1 Corinthians 15.1. He says, now I would remind you, now I would remind you is the exact same phrase that this is in verse 11. So we could actually translate it to say, now I would make known to you. Uh, He's telling the church of Corinth, now I would make known to you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. What he did in Corinth is the same thing he did in Galatia. I went in there and I made the gospel known. Trying to be clear with this because there's a lot of preaching, teaching, and religiosity in the world. It's not unclear with Paul. Paul made the gospel known. Not every issue under the sun, not addressing everything there is. It's like, I'm making sure you know the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, but you go down through the Christian armor, and he gives all this armor the Christians are to put on in chapter 6, and And you get on down there, and he uses this same Greek word to make known. The ESV translates it there, to proclaim. 
which is a legitimate translation. To make known is a synonym for to proclaim something. It's proclaiming something for the purpose of making it known. Uh, There's a translation called the Bible in basic English, and it it translates it to make clear. The, The thing that was foggy to you, that you couldn't grasp with your minds, Paul says, I came to town and I made it so clear that you could comprehend it in your mind and it could be settled in your heart. After Paul explained that Christian armor in Ephesians 6, he implores them and he says, pray that I can open my mouth, and here's the word, to proclaim. To proclaim what? The mystery of the gospel. Here's all the armor. You Christians use your armor armor to fight, but also to go to fight for prayer for me that I may proclaim, make known, clear up the gospel, and make it clear for others to understand. So make no mistake about it as we look at the Apostle Paul's autobiography here. Preaching is how Paul made the gospel known. Now, I don't think that's an exclusion to other things. I think you can give gospel tracts. I think you can have gospel conversations over coffee. I think you can have gospel conversations around a family gathering. You can have them in your living room. All of that's valid. But don't ever allow anything in church life to usurp the position of preaching from a pulpit. I say this because there are a vast number of churches that don't even have a pulpit anymore and would be confused if you ask them where the pulpit was. They've moved it aside in order to fill the stage with the main thing, which is the music. I remember my friend uh, Brett Beasley went in view of a call, not maybe seven years ago, but it's just one of those times in his life. He, it was a church that was tempting him to come. And so he goes to that church and has conversation, and they want him to preach. And he walked into the sanctuary, and the first thing that hit him, there's no pulpit. He was done. Interviews over. He already understood everything he needed to say. He asked where the pulpit was, and they told him it was in the back where all the junk is stored, basically. And he knew right then he needed to stay in the church that he was in. Preaching is how the gospel is made known. Now, let me say a word about preaching tonight, because I think it's important because we lose track sometimes of why we do preaching. But preaching is the God ordained means of making the gospel known. You say, I don't understand why a guy stands in a pulpit and proclaims from a book and he gets all excited and sweats and spits and all this stuff. I mean, isn't there a better way? God made preaching the means for making the gospel known. It's what you do. You, it's in your heart. It wells up, weighs on you, and you just, you just get thundered out of the pulpit because God called men to preach. It's what they're called for. It's the God-ordained means of equipping the church. Many of you here tonight, you know some theology. You know some doctrine. You know where books are in the Bible. Many of you in this church have read the whole Bible yourself. Many of you have family time in your living rooms. All of these are the fruits of a preaching ministry. You value God's Word. You value theology. You love rich, deep songs that communicate things like this. Why? Because of preaching over the years has taught you and strengthened you in these things. 
I hope and I pray to the degree that if whatever happens in the future, that you would be sorely disappointed and irate if ever a man stood in this pulpit with jokes and stories and illustrations and no exposition. You'd be like, you're done. We want preaching from the pulpit. And preaching, it is the knowledge that men will be held accountable for. And this is what weighs on me a lot each week. But the Galatians had heard Paul's sermons, and he's holding them accountable for what they heard. Now, whether you believe it or not, whether you receive it or not, I can't control. But every sermon, the sermons about the peace of Christ, the sermons about the Spirit of Christ living in you and enabling you, this morning, hearing that we're to be fruit producers, you are accountable for what you've heard. If you don't do something with it, it's on you. And so, in a very real sense, preaching is dangerous. Because you hear truths, and if you throw those truths away, you have to give an account for what you've done to the truth God gave you through the means of preaching. Number four, preaching, it's it's the very thing that is attacked by religiously-minded people who have other agendas. And that's exactly what these troublemakers are doing. They're religious, and they're attacking Paul's preaching And then also, fifthly, this is the last one I have for preaching, but it has effects. In other words, under my definition of preaching, you cannot preach without effect. It's impossible because we're dealing with a living word that's empowered by the Spirit of God. So it has effects. It causes divisions. It produces anger. But it also delivers men from bondage. And it also equips men for the kingdom And most importantly, it reveals God to man. You think, how would you know God? How how would you be aware of him had not God raised up the preaching ministry to have him proclaimed and exegeted week in and week out in order that all the things of God or the Godhead could be put on display before your eyes and your ears and your heart. God's being kind to you. I thought that while I was preaching this morning. I'm looking at all these people. I'm like, all of these people this morning were here on this day to hear that sermon about fruit production don't kid yourself God did that for every person that was here God had a reason I don't know what's going to happen with it but out of all the weeks that was the one they heard as recipients of the gospel we also are to be people who make the gospel known we should value preaching for it is the primary way that God makes the gospel known number two Paul's gospel in the second part, verse 11. For I would, I'm making known to you, brothers, the gospel that was preached by me. That's what he's doing. So what is Paul's gospel? Let me give you three parts to this claim. Number one, his claim to the gospel. It is personal. Now, you'll need to grasp this for yourself, but I know it's true of Paul. Whatever his gospel is, make no mistake about it, it is a very personal matter to Paul. Listen to a few texts. They're scattered throughout the New Testament. Romans 2.16, on that day when, 
according to my gospel. Personal pronoun, according to my gospel. It's going to judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Or in Romans, that's the beginning of Romans, chapter 2, 16. At the end of the book, Romans 16, 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 that we've already referenced, I would make known to you, brothers, of the gospel I preach. It's personal gospel that I brought to you. And then one more, 2 Timothy 2.8. He says this to Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David, as preached by my gospel. It was very personal to him. And so I just want to insert this for each one of us tonight. Is it your gospel? You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be an apostle. But you can't have my gospel in a sense. And you can't live off your mama's gospel or your grandpa's gospel. It needs to be yours. I believe the gospel. I possess the gospel. This is what the gospel is. And I have this gospel with me every day. It's my gospel. It saved me. It delivered me. It's given me hope and a future. Everything. It's very personal. I have a close relationship with Christ who is the very center of the gospel. He's my Savior. You need to have that. You say, well, I don't know that I have that. Then maybe you're lost. Because that's the nature of Christianity, is this personal relation to Christ. Oh, that you wouldn't have to say with Saul that you're king, you're God, you're God over here. No, 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 be with David, my God, my gospel. Make it very personal. Pray you could learn that from Paul. It was very personal to him. Secondly for Paul, his devotion to the gospel. So we had his claim, it's personal. We have his devotion to the gospel. What is his devotion? It is his life. What is your life? What is your life made up of? I love that. I, I read, I don't know why, I'm a weird person, I know. I read obituaries all the time. It, it just boggles my brain. I read them every week. I don't even know these people. And I read them, and I know less about them, and I knew nothing to start with. I'm like... That's all you have to say about this person after 80 years? That's all you have? I mean, in 80 years, all you could write down is they drove a truck and they had a dog and they died? I mean, come on. Is there not more? For Paul, what are you going to write down? <laughs> he loved the gospel. He lived the gospel. His life was all about the gospel. He was preaching. He was teaching. He was serving. He was giving. He was laying his life down. Everything was so gospel-centered with him. I mean, it's like you write on his tombstone, here lies a man who believed the gospel. That would be a great obituary. In Acts 20, verse 24, Paul says stuff like this. I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I could finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's all I want. That's what Paul says. Or in 1 Corinthians 1 and 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 1, 17, 1 Corinthians 2, 2. He says this to the church of Corinth. For Christ... He did not send me to baptize, but 
to preach the gospel. Not with some kind of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be robbed of its power. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, I I made a decision. I decided this. I don't want to know anything among you except Christ and him crucified. It's his life. Everything. He's like a church of Corinth that is a nightmare of division. It's a cacophony of voices. And there's just all kinds of immorality everywhere. How do you fix it? I've got a gospel. That's what Paul does. Through the whole 1 Corinthians, all 2 Corinthians, everything turns on the gospel. That's the only message he has for a church of chaos. And you see the same thing in every other place he addresses. If we say it, maybe, I don't know that Spurgeon said this. I just assume he did. Because I just made it up and it sounds like him. But if you cut the apostle Paul with the knife, he would bleed gospel. Just who he is. And look, you don't have to be a preacher for that to be true of you. There are people, I know, people you know, you can say these statements that have never stood in a pulpit. It's not about the pulpit. It's about what is your life? What makes you tick? What, what gives you impulse? What gives you desire? What do you wake up for on Monday? Because if it's not the gospel, what is it? The Democratic Party? What is it? Nine to five job at $12 an hour? Is that all you have to live for? Surely there's something greater. Is it just to plumb a toilet? If that's all there is, I don't even want to wake up. But man, if you could wake up because the gospel matters and it's your life, boy, the day's worth living. Thirdly, his qualification to the gospel. So we had his claim, it's personal. We had his devotion, it is his life. And now we have this qualification to the gospel. Very clearly, it is not according to. It is not down from man. So preposition gets used a lot in the Greek text. Preposition is kata. Marker of norm or similarity. According to, in accordance with, in conformity with. Say, why are you telling all this about the preposition? Because Paul's gospel is not similar to the norm of humanity. It doesn't go together with what a human would do to write a gospel. It has nothing to do with humanity or receiving it from humanity. That's not the way it came. It does not conform to man, which gives us a hint. Paul is claiming that his gospel has a divine source. It's a divine source. Number three, verse 12, Paul's negation. Verse 12, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. I did not receive the gospel from man. I don't think it's a problem at all, but I do think we should be aware of this because I think it makes a very valid point Not far different than this morning's point, but surely Paul had heard the gospel from man. Surely he had. You say, how so? Well, I know that he was present when a man named Stephen was preaching. So he had to have heard the gospel. He was there, and he condones the stoning of Stephen. So he must have heard it. And then also know from Acts 22, verse 3, that he was a student under Gamaliel. Surely he learned something of Jesus there. And in his past, 2 Corinthians 5, 16, he regarded Jesus in the flesh. He knew something 
about Jesus. And then in Acts 9-4, you know, he must have had some information about Christ. If not, why was he persecuting the church? Why was he seeking papers of authority to arrest them or to put them to death lest he knew that they were proclaiming a way that was different than the way he had heard? So he had the information, but yet he says he did not receive it from man. And he goes on, nor was I taught it. This is where the application comes. All prior information about Christ produced no true knowledge of the gospel. Here's the danger. All the information, reading, hearing, sermons by Stephen, teaching by Gamaliel, being a part of a religious organization, all of these things, being aware of Christ, lots of information, but none of that produced true knowledge. This is dangerous. Do you know how many people exist in churches for years and get all the information but never have any revelation? All prior information about the gospel was rejected by Paul. He rejected the resurrection and he rejected the ascension of Christ. He completely failed to see the true significance of the life of Christ. That's what he's saying when he didn't receive it from man and he wasn't taught it from man. Everything that had come to him from a man didn't profit anything. Why? There has to be a supernatural working. God has to do something with the info or it doesn't produce any understanding. Information without revelation only accomplishes condemnation. It was not the apostles, nor the church, nor any man who taught him what to believe about the gospel. He was confronted with Christ in a revelation. And this is where he understood the gospel. Ananias didn't teach him the gospel. Ananias prayed for him, he received his sight, and he baptized him, but he did not teach him the gospel. Paul did not receive the gospel from man, nor was he taught it by man. The gospel Paul possessed had a heavenly origin. Now, if you, if you want to, you can. It's not that long of a reading, but 2 Peter 1. Obviously switching apostles here, but I do want to remind you what the apostle Peter said at the end of this glorious passage in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. Just reminding you of how revelation works. And Peter says, quote, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Nothing in the Bible is from somebody's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Then how did it come? Men spoke from God as they're carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's claiming. 
the Jesus himself revealed himself to me. He taught me the gospel, and I'm proclaiming the gospel that he gave me. And come by the will of man, the teaching of man. This is a divine origin that God has sanctioned for me to declare. That's what Paul is claiming. Lastly, Paul's source, verse 12b. He says, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This word for revelation, apocalypsis, is making fully known, to reveal, to disclose something. The idea behind it is something you previously did not know is now being revealed to you uh, that you had never understood before. Now, this same way is the same way, the way that Paul had this revealed to him is the same way John had things revealed to him. Exact same word, the same thought in Revelation 1.1. And it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show the servant. So it was revealed to John what to write down in Revelation, like the gospel was revealed to the apostle Paul where he could preach. Paul told the church at Ephesus the same thing as he says here, and he says this, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, Ephesians 3.3, as I have, he says, it's kind of funny, as I have written briefly. And then in Ephesians 1.17, when Paul preached, what Paul preached must, have, must be revealed to the hearer, Ephesians 1.17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So make no mistake about it, in this church or any gathering, when the gospel is preached, it pray, pray that the gospel would be preached, but as it's preached, it will take the third person of the Godhead to reveal it into the heart of someone to bring about knowledge of the gospel. I live in this every week. It doesn't matter if I get every sentence grammatically correct. Even if I put commas and periods and exclamations and question marks in all of my sentences and I speak with the greatest oratory skills that have ever been known to man, if the Spirit of God does not reveal the truth to you, you won't get it. I don't care who preaches it. You can preach monotone. You can spit when you preach. You can run around in circles and preach. But we are dependent upon the Spirit of God. You say, well, what does that mean? I know one thing it means. You ought to pray a whole lot more for the Spirit to work in the service than what we do. Because we're dependent upon Him. How did he receive this revelation from heaven? I won't recount the whole story. You know it's in Acts 9. How did he get this revelation? A light from heaven, Acts 9.3. A voice from heaven spoke to him, Acts 9.4. He was not chosen and taught by Ananias, but it was Jesus who called him to the ministry, Acts 9.15. He was baptized by Ananias. And immediately, comes up out of the water, says immediately he proclaimed Jesus to this degree that the Jews were confounded. They're confounded by Paul because he was proving that Jesus was the Christ. 
He went from no understanding that Christ is the Messiah to coming up out of the water, preaching in such a manner that all the religious people around him, it just, as we say today, it blew their minds. Because the truth of the gospel was revealed to him, and now he's just a man on fire making the gospel known. One quote tonight from William Hendrickson. He says, The experience, therefore, on the way to Damascus, shed a flood of light on all the information which had been reaching Paul. It changed vehement denial into rapturous conviction, vague outward awareness into marvelous insight. That's what the gospel does. It's like, yeah, people, they read, they read, they hear, they hear, it don't click, it don't make sense, they don't figure out how this goes to this, and then when conversion comes, everything comes to life. And they read, and they're like, I never saw this before. This is glory. Oh, this is good. This is everything has meaning and purpose. And it's like they fall in love with Jesus, and they fall in love with this book. It's like everything's changed. All of a sudden, I want the word. I want to read. I want to take this in. Everything's different after conversion. Paul's claim puts his hearers in the position. It does, whether they want to deal with it or not. They either have to believe or disbelieve. There's just not any other grounds here. Paul's making his claim so clear. You either say, like, like Jesus' family said about him in Mark, hey, this guy's out of his mind. His own family said that about him. So you have to say, Paul is out of his mind or God has revealed this to him. It's the only options. Paul's claim is that the gospel, his gospel, is synonymous with Jesus' gospel. So it's revealed from heaven, not like Joseph Smith who writes a lot of wacky stuff that doesn't agree with the New Testament, but you look at what's revealed to Paul and you parallel it with Jesus and you find they're synonyms. They work perfectly together because it's the same gospel. Paul's contrast between not from man but by revelation is an insistence upon the deity of Christ. And the fourth and final implication If anyone makes the same claim as Paul as to a revelation they have received from Jesus, they would need to write it down, add it to the Bible, and it would have to be shown to be in agreement with everything the Bible already says. We believe, just as a reminder, in a closed canon. Genesis to Revelation, God has given us his word. It's a complete work, sufficient for your life today and for all of eternity. There's nothing to be added. There's nothing to be subtracted. Our responsibility is to read, to meditate, and to take this book in because God has given us enough. We're not waiting on a new word. We're not waiting on another word. We're not looking for another gospel. Everything you need for your soul is found in this book. Paul preached the gospel that he received from Jesus Christ. The Galatians believed. Enemies then entered and perverted the gospel. And now Paul responds by saying that Jesus Christ is the one who revealed the gospel to him. Anyone who rejects Paul's gospel is rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last sentence. Improper views of the gospel... Invoke the severest curses curses that heaven has 
to give. The gospel is an important matter. Don't tamper with the gospel. Believe it and preach it that people might be saved by it. Father, I thank you for this night. I thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for the reminder of the convictions about the gospel. And I pray for us here tonight that we wouldn't grow stagnant and cold towards the gospel and that we wouldn't take it as common, but it would run through our veins as it did Paul's. And it would run through our veins on Monday just as well as it does on Sunday. Help us to be a living witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to be people who have tracks to give away, to have a word to speak, to point men and women to Christ, to have a personality and a demeanor about us that gives off the aroma of Christ. Lord, may we be a people that would lead people to the Savior who can change their life forever. Lord, help us this week to live in a way that brings you glory. Pray this by your Spirit. In Christ's name, amen.